0: The Old Testament reading for today is Isaiah nine one through seven. Isaiah nine one through seven. This was a text that I mentioned in passing in the sermon last Sunday, and we have are now taking the opportunity to read it in full and to consider it. Isaiah nine one through seven. The New Testament reading is Luke nine twelve through seventeen. This will be our sermon text. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired errant and infallible word. Isaiah 9.1 But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us go now to our sermon text for today which is Luke 9, 12-17. Luke nine twelve. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to Jesus and said to Him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But He said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And He said to His disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then He broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces." This is now the reading of God's holy word. May He add His blessing to the preaching of it this morning. The story we encounter here in Luke nine twelve through seventeen is very famous. All four Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—report that Jesus miraculously <coughs> fed a multitude of five thousand people. Uh, in fact, there were five thousand men, so probably more than this. And he did so with only five loaves of bread and two fish. Matthew and Mark also report in their Gospels that Jesus did the same thing with a multitude of 4,000 people on another occasion. You may see Matthew 15 and Mark 8 for an account of this. The question we must ask is, what is the meaning of this miracle? What is the meaning of this miracle? No doubt, Christ did something very kind for these Hungry people when He fed them. No doubt He was moved by compassion to feed this multitude. Matthew and Mark say He had compassion on them. And Luke indicates this too when He says in 9.11, when the crowds learned it, they followed Jesus and He welcomed them. He welcomed them and spoke to them the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. When the text says that He welcomed them, it indicates... Uh, That he welcomed them as if guests into his home. He cared for them. He provided for their needs. So, this great act of feeding 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fish was not less than an act of kindness and compassion, but it was certainly more than this. And I might ask you have we not learned in our study of Luke's gospel to see the miracles that Christ performed as signs? And have we not also learned that signs are always filled with significance or meaning? Furthermore, we should not forget the question that keeps popping up in Luke's Gospel. Over and over again we hear it, and we have just heard it on the lips of Herod, as recorded in Luke 9.9, Who is this Jesus about whom I hear such things? So what is the meaning of this miracle that Christ performed? I think it is safe to say that it has something to do with the question that Herod just asked. Who is this Jesus about whom I hear such things? The story of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 functions as an answer to Herod's question. Who is this Jesus? And I have three observations to present to you before I present them to you. Let me acknowledge that there is now some repetitiveness in my preaching. Who is this Jesus is the question that I am continually bringing before you. Why do I bring that question before you? Because it is the question that Luke brings to us over and over again in this portion of his gospel. And you will find that the answers to these questions are, are somewhat repetitive too. We are learning that Jesus is no mere man but something greater. And indeed that will be the point that is made today. Uh, but within those main points we will find some new material in this sermon firstly the first answer we learn to the question who is this jesus is that jesus was no ordinary man but is god almighty the eternal son of god incarnate just a moment ago i read isaiah 9:1 through 7 and I'd like to say a few words about that text. I think it will help us to better understand and appreciate what is going on in Luke's gospel. Isaiah 9, 1-7 is a wonderful prophecy. It was written over 700 years before Jesus was born. This prophecy was delivered by God through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel as a message of hope. If you were to read through the book of Isaiah, you would see that God delivered a lot of bad news to the people of Israel and the surrounding nations through this prophet. Many of Isaiah's prophecies have to do with judgment. In fact, in Isaiah 8 we find a prophecy concerning the judgment that would soon come upon Israel in those days. The judgment of God would be poured out on rebellious Israel. Through the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrians would soon invade Israel from the north. They would pass through the region of Galilee and come down to the south, even to Jerusalem, and they would conquer. Isaiah delivered this bad news of God's judgment to Israel as recorded in Isaiah chapter 8. But in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, we find a message of comfort, a message of hope. It is a prophecy about what would happen in the latter days. It is a prophecy about the coming Messiah, and the Messiah's everlasting and unshakable kingdom. Listen again to Isaiah 9, 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time God brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time God has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Note this, brothers and sisters. This is the very same region... Where Jesus Christ was born. This was the region where he primarily ministered, at least at the beginning of his public ministry. This was the region where he cast out demons, healed the sick, and fed a great multitude with only five fish and two loaves of bread. This is the region. It was in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Uh, These are two of the twelve tribes of Old Covenant Israel where Jesus Christ proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. All of this, all of His ministry up there in the region of Galilee in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali was in fulfillment to the prophecy of Isaiah 9. Hear it again. But in the latter time God has made glorious the way of the sea, speaking of the Sea of Galilee, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2 of Isaiah 9 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Truly, the darkness of the judgment of God did come upon these people and this region. But in the fullness of time, in the latter days, as Isaiah says, the light of Christ did shine upon them. Isaiah the prophet spoke spoke of Christ when He said in 9.6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder, and He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of Hosts will do this." Now, I must be careful here. This is a sermon on Luke 9 and not a sermon on Isaiah 9. But Isaiah 9 serves as a very important backdrop to the story we find here in Luke 9. In fact, it serves as an important backdrop to everything that Luke tells us about the ministry of Jesus Christ in the region of Galilee. For Jesus was the light that shone in the darkness of this region in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Notice that Isaiah said the light would be a child. For unto us a child is born, he said. The light would be a son. Unto us a son is given. The light would be a king. The government would be upon his shoulder. And of the increase of his government and peace there would be no end. This light, who was a king, would sit on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. But perhaps the most incredible portion of Isaiah's prophecy is the names that are given to this king of light. His name, we are told, shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of these names, it was the name Mighty God that was most mysterious. It appears again in Isaiah 10:21. And those who read Isaiah's prophecy in the 700 years after it was given must have wondered, what is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of this name? This this child to be born, this son to be given, this king will have the name Mighty God? What is the meaning of this? Well, the meaning of this mysterious prophecy became clear once Christ was born and especially after He lived, died, and rose again. Now we can see clearly that Christ is the eternal Son of God come in the flesh. In Christ, the person of the eternal Son of God, the second person of the triune God, the eternal Word of God, however you wish to say it, assumed a human nature. The Messiah is truly human, you see. This has been demonstrated in many ways throughout Luke's Gospel. This Jesus has a true human body with all of its typical parts and a true human soul with all of its faculties, mind, will, and affections. But the person of Christ, the person who acts through the human body and soul of Christ, is the person of the eternal Son of God. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is God Almighty. Do not forget the question that keeps popping up in Luke's Gospel. Who is this Jesus? Who is He? Herod was perplexed. The people had lots of opinions. But what is the answer that Luke gives us in his Gospel? He wants us to know that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And as the promised Messiah, He is no ordinary man, but is the person of the eternal Son of God incarnate. Who is this Jesus? A very short answer to the question is this. He is God. He is very God. Luke has taught this throughout his gospel. Firstly, in the birth narrative he reports that Jesus was born to a virgin. The human nature of Jesus was brought into existence not in the usual way, but as the power of the Most High overshadowed overshadowed Mary. And the angel Gabriel explained, Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Secondly, we should not forget the testimony of God Himself concerning the identity of Jesus as He spoke from heaven at the time of Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Who is Jesus? He is the eternal Son of God incarnate. Thirdly, That Jesus is the Son of God incarnate was demonstrated throughout his earthly ministry through his words and by the mighty deeds he performed. He forgave sins. The scribes and Pharisees were troubled by this. In fact, they were right to ask this question Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a good question to ask. They were right. God alone can forgive sins. Now, this man is forgiving sins. Who can forgive sins? But God alone, most of them were wrong in their conclusions, however. They considered Jesus to be a man who blasphemed rather than God who justly forgives sins. When Christ healed by His own authority, He showed Himself to be no mere man but God. When He cast out demons by His own authority, He showed Himself to be God. In fact, we should remember what the demons of Luke 4.41 said concerning Him. They cried out saying, You are the Son of God. So even the demons knew this, and they confessed Jesus' true identity. Who is this Jesus? Well, the demons knew. When Christ spoke to the wind and the waves by His own authority to calm them, He showed Himself to be God. And when Christ fed the 5,000 with only five loaves of bread and two fish by His own authority, it was a demonstration once again of His true divinity. To feed this many people with so little food, Required that something be created out of nothing. And only God can do this. In the beginning, God brought the heavens and earth into existence out of nothing by the word of His power. That is to say, through Christ, the Word. Who is Jesus? I think we can see once again it demonstrated that He was no ordinary man. He is the God-man. He is the person of the eternal Word or Son of God incarnate. This episode here about the feeding of the 5,000, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 was yet another demonstration that what Isaiah prophesied so long ago, as recorded for us in Isaiah 9, it has been fulfilled. Indeed, this Messiah, this great King is mighty God and we are to worship and serve Him therefore. Secondly, the miracle of feeding 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish does signify that Jesus was in some ways like Moses and the prophets of old, only much greater. As we consider this story about the feeding of a great multitude with a little bit of bread and fish, it should remind us of two stories from the Old Testament. The first is better known than the second. Firstly, this story echoes the story about God's provision Of manna and quail in the wilderness for Old Covenant Israel. Do you remember that story? It is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 16. Israel was in the wilderness after having been delivered from Egypt, and they were heading towards the promised land. They were in a desolate place, and they were hungry. Exodus 16.2 says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And so the Lord provided them with bread from heaven. They called it manna. And not only did the Lord provide them with bread to eat, but also meat. Exodus 16.13 says, In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And so, when Christ fed the multitude in the wilderness, it was to remind us of Moses and Israel and of God's provision of bread and meat for them there in that desolate place. Christ is like Moses in many ways. Like Moses, Christ is God's prophet. Like Moses, Christ is the Savior of God's people. And like Moses, Christ is the mediator of the covenant that God made with His people, Israel. But Christ is greater than Moses. Moses was a prophet of God, but Christ is the prophet of whom Moses spoke. When he said in Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will rise up for you, raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So Moses spoke of a future prophet that would arise, who who would need to be honored, who would need to be listened to. Christ is that prophet. Furthermore, Moses was a great Savior. God delivered Israel from bondage to Egypt through him. But Christ is greater. He delivers the true Israel of God from bondage to sin, the kingdom of Satan, and the curse of death. And lastly, Moses was the great mediator of the Old Covenant. But Christ is the mediator of the New Covenant, which is far superior. As the writer of Hebrews says, Christ has obtained... A ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. So, the book of Hebrews is very much about this theme, comparing and contrasting Moses with Christ and the old covenant with the new. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews wants us to see that Christ is greater and the new covenant is greater. And we see it demonstrated here even in this story that is open before us. Jesus Christ is like Moses in some important ways. When He fed the multitude with only five loaves and two fish, it was to remind us of this story that is found in the book of Exodus. Christ is a second Moses, but the story also shows that Christ is superior to Moses, for it was not Moses who fed Israel, but God working through Him. That is what Jesus says. As recorded in John's Gospel, Jesus then said to them, "...Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven." That is John 6, 32. When Christ fed the multitude in the wilderness, it was He who did it by His own authority. And He fed the multitude through His apostles, notice. So it is the apostles who are on par with Moses as servants, Christ is superior. Stated differently, under the old covenant order, it was God the Son who fed Israel with manna and quail from heaven through His servant Moses. Under the new covenant order, it was God the Son incarnate who fed Israel bread and fish through His servants, the apostles. Christ is like Moses, but far superior to Moses. Christ is the Son Whereas Moses and the apostles are merely servants in God's house. You may see Hebrews 3, 5-6 through 6 for more teaching on this. Who is Jesus? Who is He? He is no ordinary man. He is the eternal Son of God incarnate. He is the person of the eternal Son of God incarnate. Furthermore, He is like Moses, the mediator of the Old Covenant, only much greater. The second and lesser known Old Testament story to remember when considering the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness is the story of the feeding of many prophets in the days of Elisha with only a little bit of food. Uh, This story isn't so well known. It's found in 2 Kings 4, 42 through 44. I want you to listen to it now uh, to give you a bit of a backdrop. There was a great famine in the land. Food was very scarce. And now I quote, A man came from Baal, Shilashah, I think is how you say it, bringing the man of God, Elisha, bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this bread before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give to them the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So He said it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. We see here in Luke 9 a very similar story. A little bit of food is multiplied greatly so that many eat and are satisfied. Notice that in all three stories, the story about manna and quail in Exodus, and this one here in 2 Kings 4 along with Luke 9, the people eat and there are leftovers. What differs though? Most importantly, in the case of Moses and Elisha, the Lord worked these miracles through them, but in the case of Jesus... He worked the miracle by His own authority, for Christ is the Lord. He is the Lord who gave Israel manna in the wilderness. He is the Lord who gave the prophets bread to eat in the days of Elijah. He is the Lord who gives Israel bread to eat and fish to eat in this desolate place. And He does it through His servants, the apostles. That we are to compare and contrast Jesus Christ with Moses and the prophets of old is supported by the context here in Luke. Who did the people say Jesus was? What was their opinion? Well, we can look back to Luke 9.6. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. Who is this Jesus? Well, Maybe it's John come back from the dead. Maybe it's one of the prophets of old, uh, Elijah or some other who has arisen. And look forward again, uh, look forward rather uh, to Luke 9, uh, 18 through 20. This is where Jesus speaks to His disciples and He asks them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old had arisen But He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter gives the right answer. You are the Christ of God, Peter says. You are the Christ of God. Look forward again one more time to Luke 9.28. Now about eight days after these sayings, He took with Him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as He was praying, the appearance of His face was altered and His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men... We were talking with him. Who were the two men talking with Jesus? Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So I'm saying that this is the proper interpretation, brothers and sisters, of this feeding of the 5,000 with only a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Uh, What is the meaning of this miracle? Well, it signals that this Jesus is no mere man, but is God Himself, the one who has the ability to bring something out of nothing. More than that, it, it is intended to prompt us to compare Jesus with Moses and this story about the prophet Elisha of old, and to see that there are similarities, but there are some very important differences uh, Christ is not on par with them, but he is the very Lord who, who gave bread to his people through them in the days of old. Now, this Lord is the Lord incarnate, and he is giving bread to his people, to his followers, through his servants, the apostles. This section of Luke's gospel is all about the question who is Jesus? Maybe you grow frustrated with the repetition. You've said this before, Pastor, who is Jesus? God incarnate, one greater than the prophets of old, etc. I can't say anything else to you but this, because this is the meaning of the text, friends. We need to know who Jesus is. This is the question that Luke is posing. This is the question that Luke is answering. The answer that is consistently given is that He is the Messiah, the eternal Son of God incarnate. One who is like Moses and the prophets of old, but far greater. He is the Savior that was promised the only mediator between God and man, the mediator of a covenant much better than the old, for it is a covenant enacted on better promises. The third and final observation I have for you is this. The miracle of feeding 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish does signify that Jesus is the King of God's eternal kingdom, the commander of God's army. Notice that Christ performed this miracle while speaking to the multitudes about the kingdom of God. That is what Luke 9.11 says. When the crowds learned it, they followed Jesus, and He welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So all of these miracles were performed while Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God. He is the king of this kingdom. And as king, notice that He calls His people to Himself by His word. As king, he orders and commands his people. Christ commanded that the people be grouped into fifties, as if companies within his army and under his command. As king, Christ provides for the needs of his people. Physically, we see him feed them bread and fish, so that they had no lack. They ate until they were satisfied, and they had twelve large baskets left over spiritually, though Christ gives himself for his people the bread of his body his body was broken for us his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins i think it is worth noting here that john in his gospel records the teaching that jesus delivered on the day following this event the feeding of the 5000 here is what jesus said to the crowds on the day after according to john's gospel Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. He's here speaking of himself, as becomes plain. I quote again, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst but i said to you that i said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me i will never cast out again that is john 6:32 through 37 so the giving of the bread in the wilderness yes christ met the physical needs of his people there but the bread did signify christ giving his life for those given to him by the father the bread did signify the giving of his own self the giving of his own self his broken body and his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins notice how the bread which christ signified which signified christ's broken body was distributed to this multitude notice how this bread was distributed to this multitude it was distributed not by christ himself but through his apostles to the hundred groups or more of 50. This signifies how Christ would administrate his kingdom in the future. Christ's kingdom would be furthered and his people fed through the ministry of the apostles and after them through ministers of the word, pastors and teachers. Ministers of the word if they are to be faithful ministers, must give the people of God Christ. They must give the people Christ. They must must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They must faithfully administer the Lord's Supper wherein Christ is offered to God's people in a sacramental way. When Christ fed the multitude in the wilderness through His apostles, it was a kind of foreshadowing or picture of what was to come. Soon the apostles would offer Christ to the world through their preaching and they too would administer the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And so we as ministers must be found faithful. And what does it mean to be faithful as a minister? We must faithfully minister the Word of God, the Word of Christ. We must preach Christ crucified and risen and the fact that there is life found through faith in Him. Brothers and sisters, by way of conclusion, I simply say this to you. What a Savior we have. What a marvelous Savior we have. Who is Jesus? Who is He? Jesus is greater than Moses and the prophets. More than this, Jesus is God. It was the person of the eternal Son, the second person of the triune God, Who was born into this world through the human nature he assumed. Think about that. What a Savior we have. It was the person of the eternal Son of God who lived for us. Who kept God's law for us. Who served us and suffered for us and in our place. And here is a most mysterious thing. It was the person of the eternal Son of God who bled for us died for us and rose again for us through the human nature, He assumed. It is a great mystery, but it is something for us to contemplate. What a Savior we have. This Jesus, the eternal Son of God incarnate, accomplished our salvation in this way so that He might bring us to the Father and to glory. What a Savior we have. And my question for you is very simple. Do you know Him? Do you trust Him? Do you worship and serve Him? I pray it is so. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We love Your Word. We do thank You for those portions of Scripture that teach us about who Jesus is. The eternal Son of God incarnate, the Messiah, our Savior. But we also thank you for these portions of Scripture that tell us stories, which demonstrate the reality of who He is. We thank you for Luke's Gospel and the record we have of all of these miracles that Christ performed: the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, the casting out of demons, the calming of the waves in the sea of the sea and, and, and the wind. We thank You for these miracles that He performed, even the multiplication of such a small amount of bread and fish. Oh Lord, all of these miracles were, we can see it, a demonstration of Christ's true divinity. I pray, O oh God, that You would increase our knowledge of Christ. And as our knowledge of Christ increases, I pray that our faith would increase as well, and so too our confidence in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that our love for Christ would grow and grow leading to a more faithful walk. Lord, do help us to comprehend Christ and to know Him. Help us, O Lord, to trust Him and to obey Him. It's in His name that we pray and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.